Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, as we start today's episode, we want to send out a hearty congratulations to our longtime listener. No, not really. Um, oh, Tony okay. nominee Taylor Louderman, who announced that she ah, got yeah. married, uh, I guess, over the weekend. She announced on Monday that they that she and her now husband, Brooks Toth, got married. Um, it looks like down in Jupiter, Florida. She said, oh. quote, we got married in the time of Corona and as sad as we were to not have everyone we love there. We so enjoyed a quaint picture perfect day. We know how lucky we are and we are so grateful. Um, so congratulations uh, to Taylor. Yeah. A, a nice little ray of sunshine in our otherwise yeah. dark times. <laughs> a little gloomy, a little gloomy, but yes, a yeah. ray of sunshine indeed. Yeah. So Ashley, one of the things that we've been talking about wanting to do here for a while and it got delayed because of the drama desk yesterday, um, yeah. we wanted to talk about the Broadway for Black Lives Matter again event that was put on by the Broadway Advocacy Coalition. Again, noting that we are two white people uh, yes. that work in the theater industry and the second very white, very, I mean, I, I tan more than you do, but the last two days <laughs> of this Florida. event. Here in Florida, I would hope so. Well, I, gingers tend to have uh, tougher times. Uh, anyway. anyway, Pretty rude. Pretty rude. <laughs> At least I'm not saying you don't have a soul. That would be harassed or something. Also but, true, but hey. <laughs> But it has nothing to do with your hair color. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, the last two days were not necessarily specifically targeted towards white people, but were kind of targeted towards white people. If you remember, the first day sure. on Monday was... Um, the day in which they invited all black theater artists and, and workers to come together and share their experiences dealing with racism in the theater industry. Then on the second day, that was the day of listening in which all of us that were not black and not in that first group kind of heard some of these stories. And then the third day was the day in which we were supposed to put it into action in a day of accountability um, so you and I did not participate, of course, in the first day because it was not necessarily right. open to us, but we did participate in days two and three, and we wanted to talk about some of the specifics. So Ashley, where do you want to start? Um, obviously I would imagine on day two, but what, sure. where do you want to go with this conversation? Well, first of all, a major thank you to Broadway Advocacy Coalition and all the coordinators and speakers for taking the time and the energy and giving yourselves the space and allowing us to listen in. Obviously, they were very, it was a very painful session and a lot of speakers expressed their nerves in revealing these truths that everyone within the industry needs to hear, but especially white people within the industry need to hear. The big question, I guess, at the end of the forum was what does an equitable and anti-racist theater landscape look like to you? And it's something I've been thinking about and will continue to think about and turn thought into action as we go forward. But I have to think about it in both, you know, ter in terms as a theater goer and a theater professional. I mean, those usually go hand in hand, but not always, because at least sure. pre-pandemic, and <laughs> this is certainly going to change post-pandemic, and it's something I talked about when Casey Mink was on the show when I interviewed her, but I have definitely seen a lot of shows I knew I was going to hate because they were, you know, being lauded or had a lot of eyes on them, and I felt like it was my job to be part of that conversation. A lot of those shows... uh 
they were far and away very white, very heteronormative, very male. That changes post pandemic anyway, because I'm just truthfully not going to put myself in, in, you know, potential harm's way for a show I couldn't care less about. And that is interesting, interesting to me. But across the board, I think as a theater journalist, as an arts journalist, whatever you want to refer to myself as, it's more important for me going forward. And I'm sure in the case is you as well to make sure that the art I am consuming and focusing on and uplifting is art that is equitable, anti-racist. And that's what a successful equitable theater landscape looks like for me i you know i think a lot about a lot about it outside of theater and i'm hyper focused on it because for backstage i cover casting so i'm constantly looking at who is casting who and what these projects are but also i you know i cover uh shows and films that have been greenlit and what actors have been cast in those roles and there's a lot, a very big part of that is that I'm trying to make sure and <laughs> more hyper aware these days than I certainly have been in the past, but making sure that the shows that I'm talking about and the films that I'm talking about and the casting decisions I'm talking about are not just like the white male A-lister that everyone has hits on, you know, are already making it into people's, they're already in people's minds, people already know about them, they're already getting the attention. That's a lot of what I've been thinking about lately. I think that's a really interesting point, because I, I, I think to me, you know, you're talking about white male A-listers. I'm a comic book guy, so like a ton of like yeah. comic book movies um, are things that I'm going to naturally gravitate to no matter what. Sure, there's sure. there's a lot of great male white actors, um, especially on Broadway and, and white female actors. And, you know, I'm always going to be excited for a Laurie Metcalf show. But I think you're absolutely yeah. right in that we have to choose what we, whether that's you and me individually on like our social media platforms or sure, here on the sure. show, what we are amplifying because everybody who's listening is probably going to know if Lori Metcalf's in a show and they're <laughs> right. not, and it's not that's that we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we're going to talk about it. That's what we do here, but there's a difference between talking about something and amplifying it. And, and I think that's something that is very important for me moving forward is of course, I'm going to talk about the casting for the next Scott Rudin, all white dining, dining room drama, uh, because we're going to have one <laughs> with with projections, with projections, yeah. um, or or one of the not for profit theater companies that does sure. this stuff all the time. We're going to talk about it because that's what we do. But there's a big difference between that and what we maybe do. Focusing yeah, on it, right? Yeah. Or what we do in for me and tell me more, or in what we do in interviews and stuff like that. Like I'm very proud of the track record of guests that I've had on tell me more. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of the conscious effort that I've made to have it as diverse as humanly possible, both in terms of gender and, and race, but that there's always more to be done. And, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that I thought was really interesting from day two of the, of the forum was something that Daniel J. Watts, who's starring as Ike Turner and, and Tina Turner, uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, it's actually something that Adrian Warren had said, and I don't remember what day was what, to be honest with you. I think it was the same day Adrian maybe said it later um, uh, during the Times opening night thing was that he said he was glad that Broadway was shut down while this conversation was happening. Oh, because yeah, yeah. If, it, if it hadn't been all of this energy that the theater community is turning, not necessarily 
I, I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I, the way I took it was all the energy that the theater community is focusing on the theater side of this racism. It probably wouldn't have been there because we sure. would have been in the middle of Tony season and award season. And then this summer with all the tourists, like we would have we sure that conversation might have been happening, but not with the energy that it's happening now. So I think that that's a, a really yeah. interesting thing to contemplate. Um, and I think it's important. And and I think that we've all talked about the fact that this pandemic is changing our lives in one way or the other for some of us more than others. And I I've been firmly on the fence or uh, firmly on the side of saying that you don't have to feel pressure to be productive or to do things or to write your King Lear or whatever. Sure. But I, I said this with Mandy Gonzalez, like if you don't come out of this, having taken full account of yourself in your life, in your worldview, that is not only a missed opportunity, it's a it's a dereliction of your duty as a human being. And I think Absolutely. I think that, that is something that I, I think lines up with what Daniel Watts said, is that we have to use this time f- to do good. For sure. I mean, even if you, I mean, right now, before the protests started happening, we were looking at what the, like, what theater is going to look like when we come back like what changes have to be made what will make theater better and we started talking about that a little but as you Mm -hmm. said we wouldn't really we would not be having this conversation if theater was up and running because even if the pandemic was shorter than we thought it was and theater was coming back later we would have the focus on okay what's coming back what's the cast what's coming back exactly and how how do we get theater the conversation would be how do we get theater back to what it was before instead of what the conversation is now and what it should be as what changes do we have to make to make theater successful yeah because and not financially successful you're talking no god i mean it's not anyway (laughs) barely is anyway but i you know talking about what we're covering and what we're paying attention to and what we're amplifying obviously it's very chicken and egg because who is producing the work who are the higher ups who are the owners who's on the creative teams that's something that was actually discussed in one of the days i don't remember is that it's a very top-down institution where um, it starts with the producers and investors. It doesn't necessarily start with the casting people. It starts uh, much higher than that with the people who have the purse strings. But so, okay, let's move on to day three of this. And it was a day of accountability. And as always, being the, not to call him old, but being one of the elder statesmen of the Broadway community, especially from his you know work with the Actors Fund, in addition to his incredible work, uh, on stage, Brian Stokes Mitchell kind of summed everything up really succinctly and perfectly and said, accountability is judged by action. Right now, we have a ton of people in the community talking the the, the talk. Um, and, and it's going to have oh, to depend on when they walk the walk. And I think one of the things that a lot of people noticed was how many familiar names were in that chat of white people on the right-hand side of, oh, of the yeah. forum, I lots of very familiar names. certainly watching it. I'm yeah. sure. And I think that what is so hard for a lot of white people, and especially like that lady from the cosmetics company who, you know, out in Los Angeles who oh, got, God, yeah. who had that thing with like, um, uh, you know, the guy stenciling in front of his own house. There's a lot of people think that, not they being own the in space. Well, that absolutely. And this might not, she might not be the, the right example of this, but I think a lot of people think that I'm not individually racist. So that means 
my actions and the actions of the organizations that I run can't be racist. There's a sure. there's a significant yeah. disconnect between even if everybody at off Broadway theater company X is not an actual out and out, you know, KKK proud boy racist sure. um, and consider themselves holding, holding up a structure right, that is exactly. at its core racist in a country that's at its core racist. Right. And that's the conversation that I got into an argument with somebody uh, a week or so ago is that if you can't acknowledge that just the fact that the organizations and the institutions that we hold dear are built on a foundation that far predates them um, that is racist and that they have benefited from that, you're never going to be able to get the work done to make Absolutely. to make your organization or institution not only not racist, but anti-racist. And I think that that's an important distinction that a lot that's of people are starting to make. Distinction. Yes, absolutely to that. And another thing about that is, is that um, I will uh, I will admit my fanboying over Tanya Pinkins because uh, she dates Incredible. back to my very early days of watching All My Children. Um, uh, she was... A, <laughs> Don't it's laugh. Always, she, it's, it's always that. <laughs> it's always the subs. She was a part of a super couple, the Cudahy's. Um, uh, but anyway, so I've like been a Tanya Pickens fan, like probably going on near three decades. Um, not exactly three decades because I didn't start watching when I was that young, but close. But she said this thing that I think is really at the heart of why white people struggle with this so much, especially the ones that consider themselves progressive, is because they think that being progressive and being not racist themselves, that that means they should be very comfortable in how the world works and they should not have to deal with anything uncomfortable. Yes. But she said, um, and I'm going to get this quote here real quick. She said, white people cultivate worlds and institutions for their comfort. And they have been weakened by that. I think mm -hmm. that's absolutely true. I mean, we can't to we we have not been able even if we want to in our hearts we have not been able to make the changes and take the steps that we know are right we have not been able to confront the the ugly realities of the world and and the uncomfortability that comes with our own privilege and Definitely. i think that this is something that is super important and i have admitted many many times uh, here on broadway radio that i don't like uncomfortableness i don't like awkwardness no, no sure, normally sure. when i talk about this it's about like watching a show or something and when i don't like uncomfortableness but it's true in real <laughs> life i don't do confrontation i'm not a confrontational person i don't like it, it i'm makes a very sweat. confrontational yes, person we are I'm different not sure if you, i'm not sure if you knew that i did very well very well acquainted um <laughs> yeah. but i hate it. it but this is something that i know is something that i have to work on for myself if i want to be able to do the things and take the steps and make the stands that I think I need to make as a human being and as an ally in this fight. I can't remember if it was part of the same conversation and same quote that Tanya had said in that forum, but it was something along the lines of that white people are feeling uncomfortable right now and good. We should, because we have built an entire system that is designed for our comfort. Like there is nothing totally <laughs> there's nothing in this earth that isn't white people saying this is made for us and this is to our comfort level so anything that challenges that is of course going to be uncomfortable yeah absolutely and um again like we acknowledge at the top of this we are two white people who work in the theater in, in, in theater industry and the mm -hmm. reason we wanted to do this between us 
is because we want to acknowledge the responsibility that white people have in making these changes. Uh, yeah. We have and we will continue to talk with um, black, indigenous and people of color in the theater community about these yes. things. This is a commitment that we are making. Uh, but we did think it was important because the second and third days of this forum were not exclusively, but more or less exclusively focused on white people. I, I thought mm -hmm. it was important for us to talk about them from our own perspective um, as the yeah. privileged group here. So um, we make the commitment to continue to talk about these issues with people that are more affected by it than we are. Um, and we right. will do that. And we want you to help keep us accountable. It's going to be harder as shows start coming and we start getting in, in engulfed in that stuff but it's a commitment and that that's we're the, making that's, and that's the, that's the point yeah. like again that's you know the, there are going to be shows that we wouldn't it, not even just us but theater journalism as a whole isn't necessarily focused on i think we all have to kind of ask ourselves why that is mm -hmm. because it isn't a matter of quality there are plenty there are plenty of shows that we talk about that aren't good yes and that's that's just what happens. But I mean, yeah, as you said, uh, right now, white people, ourselves included, are talking the talk and have to walk the walk. So this matter of holding ourselves account accountable and having other people hold us accountable is incredibly important. I personally think uh, I've I've been good about questioning productions both on stage and on screen when they're too male or if they're casting straight people or cis people to play queer or trans folks. But that's because it pertains to me as a queer woman. I like that is my lived experience. So I'm hyper focused on that and I need to get better about doing that research to see, okay, who is working on this show? And then, okay, why is this show so damn white? Who can I reach out to about this? How do I cover the show and make sure to include that fact and push against that fact? And I think pushing hard to continue to question that, like that's a start. It's not the whole task, but it's a start questioning everything and fighting back against things were always done this way which is like the most harmful thing that uh, the most harmful thought that ever exists because that's the problem we've built an unfair and equitable racist sexist transphobic queerphobic classist inaccessible system and there is no reason it has to stay that way like, the only people telling you it does are the ones who currently hold the power so how do we change that? Absolutely right. I, I co-sign everything you just said. But all right, Ashley, like I said, we will continue to make these conversations uh, a part of our programming moving forward. But for now, we're going to start talking about some other news here in this episode that actually has to do, at least in some form or fashion, with the coronavirus. Yesterday, Broadway World had an article that outlined some of the things that non-equity theaters, because equity theaters have not anywhere been close to cleared to return, uh, but non-equity no. theaters around the country are doing to reopen their shows. Currently, there are multiple theaters in states like Florida, Utah, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, and others that have either already returned to performing or will in the next few weeks. From socially distanced seating, to temperature checks at the door, to UV lights to kill bacteria, there are a lot of things that people are doing to try to rationalize reopening. And and I honestly, mm, I sympathize yeah. with them, Ashley. I, mean, I do sympathize. Yeah, yes. I mean, this is the same conversation that sports leagues and college athletic departments are having, although I don't sympathize with them nearly as much. But if you cancel mm. everything for the foreseeable future, whether that's a, a theatrical season or a sports season... Um, if you don't have some sort of government aid, 
a lot of these theaters and believe it or not, colleges and athletic departments will close, um, whether that's in part or in full. So I get the desire to reopen in whatever way you can, but it just seems so short-sighted to me. And I firmly believe that many of these things that reopen, whether that's a sports league or a theater or a business or whatever, will very likely have to close down again when the virus gets even worse than it already is. Absolutely. Yeah, assuming it's their like, elected officials give a damn. Yeah, well, there's that part. It's like Cuomo saying right now in New York that we might have to shut down Manhattan again because people are not adhering to any social distancing. I, I see at you, this Hell's point. Kitchen. I see you. Uh, I see you, Hell's Kitchen gaze. Put on your damn masks. <laughs> All right. In some other news in this area, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced that they had pushed back the 93rd Academy Awards. Instead of its previously announced February 28th date, it will now happen on April 25th. The Academy also recently announced an extension for their qualifying dates instead of a film needing to be released during the 2020 calendar year as normal. These new April awards will include all films released in 2020 and the first two months of 2021. You know, actually, it's a little frustrating seeing this news that the Oscars are announcing what they are doing with their awards more than eight months before (laughs) they were originally supposed to occur. While we are now eight days and in terms of recording when we're doing this eight days after the Tonys were supposed to happen. And we haven't heard a peep about that from the powers that be. Well, yep. And finally, in this COVID-19 related section, it was announced that tomorrow, Wednesday, June 17th at 8 p.m., there will be an online discussion to remember the life and work of Terrence McNally. John Benjamin Hickey, John Glover, and Andre DeShields will be a part of this conversation. If you would like to watch the event, check out the link in the show notes. Actually, I know you didn't get to watch the drama desks, um, but when Mm -hmm. um, Terrence's husband, Tom Curtihy, was accepting the award for Best Mm -hmm. Revival of a Musical for Little Shop of Horrors, he talked about how hard this shutdown has been for him personally, uh, but how much he appreciates um, being able to share this, um, even if it's remotely and virtually with uh, the family over at Little Shop. So um, if you have a chance to be a part of that on Wednesday night, I would recommend it. All right. And lastly, Ashley, we have two recommendations. The first one comes from the previously mentioned Stokes. He was the host and guest and performer for um, the latest edition of of Memorial for Us All, which is just an online video where somebody will perform. Um, in fact, Stokes sang three songs, one by Adam Gettle, then some other time from On the Town, and then, of course, his signature song, The Impossible Dream. Um, it started on May 3rd, and they do this, I guess, once a week, and you can send in the name of a friend or a loved one or a family member who died during this pandemic. And this is a memorial, like it says, for us all. And Stokes had some nice words um, at the beginning. And and then as he sang, names of people who have died uh, during this this Mm. pandemic uh, scrolled through. So uh, 14 minutes of Stokes singing, uh, a very good thing to recommend, even if it's a a somber thing. And then uh, finally... I mentioned this last week. Seth Rudetsky had his his latest online concert with Jeremy Jordan happened on Sunday. I tweeted about it. Uh, It was very, very good. Uh, I was shocked at how well the audio worked because Seth is is accompanying Jeremy, um, who's not there in the same room. They even did a duet. I was shocked at how well it worked. So kudos Mm -hmm. to them. But there is an exclusive video over at Broadway World of Jeremy singing a medley of bonnie and clyde songs so all of you bonnie and clyde diehards out there 
um, this is definitely something you will want to check out. Um, and as I said before, uh, Seth has upcoming concerts with um, uh, Jesse Mueller, Leia Salonga, uh, Melissa Erico, Audra McDonald. So um, check those out. Uh, they these they do some little to, known names. Yeah, some known names. These are not free. Uh, they're twenty twenty five bucks. I can't remember exactly. Sure. The, but um, they're well worth it. And I, as I said, I was very impressed with the technology on it. So take that for what it's worth. All right, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Tuesday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.